Good morning. My name's Dave. This is a reading from John chapter 6. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, This is not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How can we now say, he, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come down to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Thank you. Okay. We are going to talk about this morning, not people's opinions about Jesus, but we're going to focus on this. Jesus Christ made seven bold and clear statements in the Bible about who he says he is in his own opinion. So we have lots of opinions. You just saw them. That just shows some of the opinions that exist in the world about who Jesus is. But who did Jesus say that he is in his own? We call these statements the seven I am's of the gospel of John. Why do we call them I am's? Because every single one of them starts with the words I am, which is very familiar. Anybody time some, somebody says I am in the Bible, maybe say, oh, they're claiming to be God because God said to Moses, I am that I am. So in every single one of these claims, the first thing we need to know is Jesus saying, I am God, I am God. Right? You saw this and it exists in our world. And even some of us here today say, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Jesus is God. That's cool. That's okay. But what we need to know is the clear evidence, the overwhelming, the repeated evidence is that Jesus Christ said seven times over and over again in the Gospel of John alone, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. He says this over. This is who, what he, he says about himself. Okay? This is what he says. So we're going to get into this. Now, the first statement that he makes, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. All right. So Jesus Christ, you have your bread, have your little bread. All right. Jesus is saying, I am a Hawaiian sweet roll. That's what this is. If you have, you haven't tasted it. I know some of you have thought about tasting it. You can at your own discretion. This gives you something to do. If you get bored or tired during the message, you can have a bite of the Hawaiian sweet bread. What does this mean that Jesus Christ says that he is a Hawaiian sweet roll? If we follow the evidence in the clues in Scripture, 
particularly in the Gospel of John, and then all the whole Bible, put it all into context, it begins to make sense. If you don't do it that way, it becomes very confusing, especially when he says, you must eat my flesh. Like, what? Excuse me? What in the world does that mean? Has Jesus been watching too much Twilight? What's happening here? It's understandable if you take the clues and the evidence all together. All right. So we're told in the Bible, and Jesus remind, they remind Jesus of this, and he talks about it here. He talks about the manna, the manna that fell out in the desert. The children of Israel, they had left Egypt. God springs them from slavery, and they're out in the desert, and they're hungry. They're very, very hungry. And there was no food in the desert. It's not a good place to grow food. And so God supplies right out of heaven. It falls down. He supplies manna. Let's read it. Uh, Deuteronomy 8 says this. He humbled you. Speaking of the Israelites, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. It was bread. We're going to cover that in a second, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth. So they're in the desert and God allows them to be hungry so they can understand the symbolism there that they need just as much as they have hunger. You ever been hungry for food? Just as much as they have hunger for food, that they should hunger even more so for the word of God. There's a connection here to the word of God. They survived and thrived in a very difficult place, the desert, because of the manna that fell fell daily. It was daily manna. Jesus says in John 6, 38, in the passage that Dave just read to us, it says, Jesus says in his own words, I have come down from heaven. So the manna falls down in heaven, and Jesus says, we're putting the pieces together, everybody, and Jesus says, I, like bread, have fallen down like manna out of heaven. He says, eat this bread, eat the manna. John chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 14, connecting the dots. It says, in the beginning was the word. We know later that the word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What is being said here? If you look at the larger story, everybody, simply what's being said here. Jesus is not saying, okay, pull out a knife and a fork and just start carving into me and start eating me. This is not, that's weird, that's cannibalism, all right? That's strange. She's not advocating that. Some of us read that, and even in the early days, people thought that Christians were cannibals because they didn't understand the whole story. This is true. They're eating flesh and they're drinking blood. They thought this, but unless we use our brains that God gave us and think deeper and look at the whole story, follow the evidence, follow the clues, then we understand that Jesus, the bread of life, Jesus is that bread, as he says he is, and that bread represents the word of God, the Bible. That's what the bread is. We don't dive into Jesus' flesh. We dive into his word. Look what it says right here. Exodus sixteen thirty one. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers, like a thin wafer made with honey. Now look what is said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3. God says to Ezekiel, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll and then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and I gave the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. The Bible tastes like sweet bread. 
Manna tastes like sweet bread. So when we're speaking here about Jesus Christ being the bread of life, he is telling us simply to consume the Bible. Now, that's symbolically. We're not advocating that instead of eating the bread this morning, that you crack open your Bible and start eating the paper that is before you. Again, it's symbolically. He says, eat my flesh. You know what? Very technical word in Greek for the word eat. It means to munch. Remember that. Munch. Munch on. Chew on. Chewing is very important. I want you to chew on God's word, eat it and consume it. This simply, everybody, is what is being advocated here in I am the bread of life statement. The symbolism is very important. If we munch on the Bible, if we chew the Bible, if we digest the Bible, it will have a huge impact upon our lives. If we don't get this simple truth, I am the bread of life is the Bible. Things get really bizarre. They go towards cannibalism and weirdness and i don't understand it so i'm walking away and is it interesting that in this chapter this is the chapter where jesus had the biggest exodus of his followers they just left him in droves huge droves because they didn't understand this very simple truth we have to understand this that's right before us it's simple we have to follow the clues to it there are three things that we see here that the bread does in our life before we launch into them Let's just ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Help us, God, to understand this clear and bold statement of Jesus Christ that he is the bread of life and let it make a difference in our lives today. In Christ's name, amen. Number one thing here, all right, that I want to say about Jesus being the bread of life. He says, Jesus' statement to us is this. I will fill your life like nothing else can, right? Just like this bread can fill our stomachs. He says, he says to them, I can fill your life. He says to us, I can fill your life. My word, the Bible, can fill your life like nothing else possibly can do it. It's no, it's no coincidence, everybody, that John chapter 6 starts with the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle of Jesus Christ that is included in every single one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only one. Why? Because Jesus is communicating something to us here that all of us need to know that there is a spiritual hunger in his word, Jesus Christ, his word. He is the only one that can fill it. He's the only thing. Do any of you feel empty this morning? Have any of you ever felt, man, there must be more to life than this? This is what Jesus Christ is trying to say. Yes, there is more to life than this. There is more. And if we try to find the more in something else besides his word, outside of his word, we're going to come up empty. We're going to feel like, oh, my goodness, something's I know that I, maybe I just need to try harder. Maybe I need to keep searching more. But what Jesus Christ, what his claim here is this, is that we will never feel full unless we munch on his word. Simple as that. And the more we munch on his word, the more full we will feel. And if we try to find that in something else, it just isn't going to work. We're going to feel empty. Jesus says in John 6, 27, this very passage, he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man is going to give you. Here's my habit in life. I find myself consumed with working really hard for things that leave me feeling empty and spoiled on the inside. I mean, they're really cool stuff. And for a short time, I get a high from it, and it's exhilarating, but at the end of everything, 
I feel empty. This is what Jesus Christ is saying. Don't work for that kind of, spend your life a priority. It's my tendency. It's our tendency to spend our time and energy on things that end up not filling us. This is what Jesus is saying here. Matthew 5, 6. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Where's the righteousness? The righteousness is in God's word. That's where we find the filling. Uh, There's an entire book in the Bible that is about this issue. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says that he tried absolutely everything and he kept coming up empty. He tried hard work and he came up empty. He tried knowledge. He tried money. He tried pleasure. He tried entertainment. He tried success. He tried women. He tried everything in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said, I just kept coming up empty. It didn't fill me. It was like a shot of adrenaline, but it did not fill me. There must be more. And so he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11, he says, the reason why is, here's the reason why, because God has planted eternity in the hearts of people. This is the thing that we can't get away from. You know how studies have shown over the years, well, religion is going to, it's going to die out. Religion is going to die out. People, we're too smart. We're too sophisticated. We don't need religion anymore. You know what the sociologists are saying now? Nuts. Ain't happening. Religion is having a boom right now. You know why? Do you know why? We might go in all kinds of different directions with that religion, but here's the thing. Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has planted eternity in the hearts of people. We have a desire from God Almighty. We can't fight it. You might be mad at religion and upset. Why can't we all get along? And you got a coexist bumper sticker on your car. That's cool. I understand that. There's a lot of fights and there's a lot of problems with religion. But we're not getting away from it. And it's not dying out. Because God Almighty in the scripture says this. Ecclesiastes has planted eternity in our hearts. So we might as well not fight it. What we need to do instead is figure out what is the truth about it. What is the truth about the eternity that God has planted in our hearts? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You're only going to feel full is if you feed on God's word. Now, there's a lot of things that are exciting. I want to try to uh, make an example of this. Recently, I have uh, I've learned the wonders of five-hour energy. And I want to talk about five-hour energy for a second. I, I do a lot of reading, and there's nothing that irritates me more than reading, reading, reading in the afternoon after lunch or something like that, and you're tired, and you're falling asleep, and you don't even know you're falling. You know when you're so tired, and you fall asleep, and you don't even know you're falling? Next thing you know, you're just picking your head up, and it's in the book, and I can't stand reading when I'm tired. And so I was walking through Costco about, I don't know, four or five months ago with my wife, and I saw this big box. It's their knockoff brand, Kirkland's knockoff five-hour energy. And I thought to myself, does that work? Do I know anything about this? I haven't studied it. I don't know anything about it. Anyway, I read it. It says it's completely healthy for you. And so uh, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give... I'm going to give five-hour energy a shot. And that's exactly what I did. I gave five-hour energy a shot. And I drank one of them. I didn't know what was going to happen. And you know what? It was like a, I don't drink coffee. First of all, you know, I don't, I don't coffee. I don't, so anyway. So I took a shot of this thing and whoo, man, I felt alive. I felt good. Like I could read. I was into it. Whoo, I was energized. I was alert and alive and feeling good. Now, 
What if I said, man, this works. And I just said, I'm going to make this my diet every day. I'm just going to fill up on five-hour energy. How is that going to work long-term for me? What if I say, no more food, no more food. Bread represents food in general, everybody. No more food, no more carbs, all right, that fuels me. No more of this. I'm just going to fill up on this. Would we eventually have a problem? So it's the same thing happens. We get consumed with our work and our life and our dreams and our wishes. And for a time, all that stuff is awesome. It's like a shot of adrenaline. It's cool. It makes us feel good and alive. Some new some new thing that we're after. Right. Some new success at work. Another pay raise, more money, more possessions. You get a new toy. I mean. It's fabulous. Recently, I, I went on a Segway. Has anybody ever done the Segway before? The Segway? Oh, like three of you have done the Segway. You've got to try the Segway. I used to look at the Segway and think, that's the stupidest thing. Who, bunch of, some lazy person invented the Segway. Who did? But a friend of mine has a Segway, and I went on it. And um, he, he had it. It's out in the country at one of his houses. And man, it's a blast. It's like riding a motorcycle all over the place. But you know what? As exciting as, as adrenaline rush is riding the segways, eventually it dies out. You know what I'm saying? It's like five-hour energy. It's like pleasure and success and sex and money and all these things. It's over too quickly and we can't keep it. And it goes. And here's what God's saying. He's saying, do not replace my word, Jesus Christ, the bread of life, with some short-term adrenaline rush. It doesn't work. God is saying to us, I'm the bread of life. He's saying, I will fill your life like nothing else. Do you feel empty today? Do you feel empty? I want to tell I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus. This is what he's saying. You feel empty today? Here's your fix. God's word. God's word. Take the emptiness away. It'll fill your, fill your life up, fill your stomach up with God's word. You will no longer feel empty again if you munch on the word of God. If you munch, chew on, eat up God's word, you'll never feel empty again, okay? I learned this early in my life. You would think I would learn the lesson one time and I would never have to deal with this again. I didn't, I forget it, and I've not done a good job of this in my own life, even though I'm a pastor. When I was 18 years old, I went to Germany. It was the first time, even though I'd been in church all my life, it was the first time in my life, everybody, that I really just sat down with the Bible and slowly munched on it. Took short passages of it. I was at a place where I knew hardly anybody. There's hardly anybody that I knew in Germany. I didn't have, there was no TV where I was staying. There wasn't things for me to do. And I just opened up the Bible. And I remember every night, I would just read short passages and think about it for about an hour. Something happened to me. Something weird happened to me. I just, what is this? I feel full. What, did, what am I doing? I felt full. And every time since that time that I've, because I allow myself to get distracted by all kinds of stuff. You'd think I have ADD, but I don't. I, you, all kinds of things that are quick fixes. But I always come back to simply digging in here. And all of a sudden I feel full again. First thing. Second thing I want to tell you is this. God is saying this, and I am the bread of life. He's saying, I will fuel, F-U-E-L, fuel your life like nothing else can. How many of us, do not raise your hand, how many of us feel spiritually weak or lethargic or empty? We're like, man, I just, oh, 
You know, I just I don't have and it's, I have no spiritual drive. I have no spiritual desire. I just feel like I'm existing, man. It's just not. You feel that well. You, you know why we feel that way. There's only one thing that fuels us. That's God's word. That's God's word. We can, we can be around God's word. We can touch God's word. We can show up at church. Someone say, man, I'm going to church. I should be spiritually alive. I'm praying or I'm trying to help other people. I should feel spiritually alive and fueled. And we're wondering, why don't I? I can be around this. I can touch it. I could lick it. I'm not going to lick it. I could do that. But look. Does it do any better? Does it fuel me? This is a carbohydrate. I know there's Krista Cup saying, look, and there's good carbs and bad carbs. Look, all right. Forget, get off eating the bread and it's going to make you fat for a second. All right, just put all that diet stuff. There's good carbs. Let's just say this is the best carb in the world. Can we just do that? All right, that's what Jesus is saying. All right. Uh, I can be around this, but until I eat it, till I munch on it, myself, like, I can't watch you eat it and say, ooh, man, I feel full and thriving. No, I have to do it myself, right? This is of no benefit to me whatsoever unless I chew this up myself. Don't miss that, everybody. Munch on it myself. Do we feel spiritually like we need to be juiced up? It's going to come from munching on the word of God, the bread of life. And it's going to be very confusing if we say, man, I'm going to church, I'm doing this. Manna was the fuel of Israel that took them when they got out of bondage of slavery and it took them all the way to the promised land. It fueled them. It gave them energy to make it. Fueled up. Now, there are. I, I did a little study this past week on chewing because this word that Jesus used means to chew or to munch. He says, you've got to munch on me. What is so I just Googled, are there any benefits to chewing? And my goodness, there are many websites that will just, just regale you with the benefits of you chewing more, that you need to slow down and chew your food. So there's a lot of them. Can I just give you two? All right. Uh, the, the first one is this, digesting. If you chew your food up really well, your body is going to digest it better. Some of us are just like, just throwing the food in. You, know? you ever eat with somebody that's eating really fast? Kind of scary, isn't it? Right? Okay. Well, it doesn't digest. So you're, putting the, you're putting the bread, the word of God, Jesus Christ in your life, but maybe there's a digestion, digestion problem. Maybe you're just going too fast. Like, well, let me just, let, let me go to church a bunch of times. No, that's not going to do it. Let me just read massive amounts of the Bible all of a sudden and not really think about what the Bible says. And somehow, miraculously, I'm going to feel fueled. You, you follow what I'm saying? No, no, no. You're better off taking a couple verses or a chapter and reading it a hundred times through. That's chewing. Right? The other thing is where you're just throwing it. Oh, man, just throw it in. Let me get through this meal as quick as I can. No, it doesn't work. Chew it. When you chew it, it digests in your body, then it fuels you. Then also, everybody, listen, you get all of the ingredients out of it. You munch away at it, and all the, ing all the power, all the nutrients that are in here, it, it fills in your body. Same thing when you chew on God's Word. Take a couple verses, take a chapter, and just chew, chew, chew. It'll fuel your life. Now, what does all this mean? Look, look what Hebrews 4.12. This is really important, how it's going to move you, how it's going to fuel you. It says, for the word of God is living, and it is active. It's active. It's on the move. 
God's word is on the move. Isn't it interesting in the scripture that we're told in him, in God, in Jesus Christ, we live. And then notice it says this, we move. Why, why that word? Why that word move? Why here in Hebrews is it's active, it's moving, there's action involved. And in him we live and we move, there's movement. Because God's word is fuel. And when we fuel up our gas tank, now we can move and go somewhere. And it's very important. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing. Our faith grows. We grow spiritually. How? How do we do that? From hearing the message. What's the message being talked about here? God's word. We hear God's message. We digest God's message and we are fueled up and we begin to grow. Faith grows. We can only move spiritually if we are fueled up and the bread is fuel. Now, this is what God's word says. Let me tell you about a study. We've talked about this study before. We've got to come back to it again. There was a study done by a very large church out in Chicago. It's called Reveal, the Reveal Study. They did it on their own church. Their church of like 20,000 people. They've existed for like 30 years. And they said, you know what? We are finally, we have all these ideas about how people grow spiritually. We are finally going to ask somebody else to get involved and figure out how people in our big, massive, huge church are actually growing spiritually. And this church has everything. I mean, this church has just this incredible auditorium, like theater companies come to them, want to rent it. I'm just awesome. They do awesome things at this church. And they have all these plans and schemes about how people grow spiritually and they get them moving and growing. So they brought in a secular research firm because they didn't want any bias involved in this, everybody. And said, tell us the truth. How do people really grow spiritually? And so that was their one question. How do you grow spiritually? Do you grow spiritually because we put on these elaborate church services? These, wow, I mean, just incredible. They have their own... They have their own staff of paid actors, okay? Staff of like a 1,000 people at this church. It's incredible. What did they come back and say to them? The secular researchers came back and said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. We know that you've got a multi-million dollar operation here. But we want to humbly say this to you. We found one thing clear. It's wave above everything else, and it's not complex. And it doesn't cost a lot of money or energy. The Bible. When people chew on munch on the bible whoo, they grow it's number one and everything else that you do around here is way down here i just gave you the answer right there jesus christ gave us the answer and this huge study that now has involved hundreds and even thousands of churches they come out with one clear answer just exactly it's confirming what is already in god's word for us if you will munch on the word of god it will fuel you now listen i need you to know this when you fuel your life spiritually this is very true you know, we want to think about we want good things to happen in our lives, right? I mean, I want good things to happen in my life. I want good things to happen in your life. You want good things to happen in your life. When you're growing spiritually, good things don't happen in your life. God things happen in your life, and they're much better than good things. Does that make sense, what I just said? God things. When you're growing spiritually, you're fueled up because the word of God is in you. God things start happening. Let me go back to Germany when I was 18 years old munching on the word of god for like three months there it was weird it was the first time i experienced my life i've been in church all my life and i just started taking a couple verses maybe a chapter time just thinking 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 read and stuff oh god what is and i would always pray you know what's one thing i remember this this is when i learned this i would always pray before i would read it i say okay god um this is your word and inspired by you i can't understand it without you would you help me to understand it i started doing that I started feeling filled up. We took a trip to Belgium. 
Some of you have heard me tell this story before. We were outside of this Christian coffee house. We are just hanging out with people. We were doing some stuff on the street and all kinds of... Anyway, we are at this coffee house. We ended it about midnight. It's on a Saturday night. And we're all getting ready to go to a place we're staying 20 miles outside the city. And here comes the cops. And uh, they wanted everybody's passport. And everybody gave the passport. It was like 20 of us. Everybody gave the passport. And you know what they did? They came and they gave everybody's passport back, except for mine. And what they did is, next thing I know, they threw me in the back of a cop car. And they took me in the middle of Brussels, Belgium. They took me to the police station, right? And the missionary guy came along with us. And because nobody's speaking English in this, so I have no idea what's going on here. And the next thing I know, the missionary guy turns to me and says, hey, man, they're going to keep you. And he said, you know, um, we've got some church services we need to do tomorrow. Tomorrow's Sunday. I'll check back with you tomorrow night. I'm 18 years old. If my parents would have known that, they would have found that guy and strangled that missionary for what he just left me. And we're in the middle of Brussels, Belgium, in a very bad area in the middle of Brussels. And I'm an 18-year-old kid who knows nothing. Can't even speak the language. I know nothing. So they keep, they fingerprint me, take my picture, do all this kind of stuff, and they throw me in a room. They didn't throw me in a cell, but they threw me in this really ugly, really cold, it was like 30 degrees in their room, and there I just sat and I shivered. At 3 o'clock in the morning, they came, they opened the door and said, get out. Get, get out get out where they didn't speak english they just said out they knew that word out and so i just said train that's all i knew to say i, I, I couldn't stay there so where and so they pointed and i walked and it was like two miles and i walked through some really really tough areas like there was a lot of drugs going on and I mean, some of you have walked through like Tyson's Corner Mall and you've walked past the Victoria's Secret. I don't ever look, but some people look at the Victoria's Secret thing and you see the stuff going on there. Well, that was where I was walking through, but not as nice. And there weren't mannequins in the window. There was big, huge windows and people were actually in there. You understand? I don't want, don't guys, don't, I don't want to lose you guys. Men, don't want to lose you. I'm in a very hard place is what I'm doing. I'm in a very hard place. I make it. You know, God protects me somehow without me getting killed. And I make it to this train station. And there was somebody there. He wasn't a security guard, but he looked like somebody official. And I asked a question. He couldn't speak any English. And there was a 19-year-old kid there, a Belgium kid. He walks up to me and he says, I speak English. I'd like to practice my English. And for the next two hours, he tells me about how empty his life is. And tells me how he doesn't believe in God. And we just had an opportunity to talk. Look. God had arranged all of that. And I'm telling you, I don't think God would have arranged all that unless I was spiritually growing. It fueled my life. And if you want to experience God moments in your life, fuel up. And it only happens with God's word. Last thing I want to say about the fuel. God's word fuels your prayers. If you think, hey, man, my prayers are weak. God's word will fuel that. It starts with God's word. It'll fuel your praise of God and it'll fuel your plans. When I was in Germany, that's when so much of God's plan for my life, I began to understand it. It all started with God's word. It all started with the bread of life. It all started with God's word. I didn't get it because I went and stood out on a mountain and I just breathed in and said, oh, yeah, God, what is it? I didn't get it. I didn't get it through anything else. The only way my prayers and my praise and my plans were fueled by God happened through God's word. This is what Jesus Christ said. Last thing I want to say is this. Jesus is saying, I will free your life like nothing else. They were scared. The Israelites were in the desert and they thought they were going to die. And they should have been scared. They were out in the middle of the desert and they didn't have any food. 
Wouldn't you be scared if you're out in the middle of the desert and have food? They're scared to death. Look what it says, Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around what? Pots of meat and adrenaline rush. While we sat around pots of meat, we ate all the food. They forgot the fact that they were in bondage, being beaten and raped every day. But nonetheless, they sat around pots of meat and ate food, all that we wanted. But you have brought us out in the desert to starve the entire assembly. You know what drove their fear away? The manna. The manna, the bread that fell out of heaven, drove their fear away. What's going to free you from your fears of life? What's going to drive it away from you? What's going to drive it away from you? The same thing that drove away from them, the bread of God, the word of God, is what will drive your fears away from you. It is going to free you like nothing else. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Jesus Christ is perfect love. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is the Bible. And it drives all of that. When we meditate and we memorize and we discuss God's word, it drives fear away from us. What fears do you have this morning? It can be driven away with the Bible. Some of us fear being single. We fear being alone. There are Bible verses that deal with that. And it'll drive the fear away. Some of us fear failure. We won't be successful. There are Bible verses that deal with issues like that. Some of us deal with the fear of being always being impatient or having a bad attitude or insecurity or not having direction in life or dealing with lust or some other addiction, do you know that there are Bible verses that deal with all that? And if we'll take that Bible verse and we'll memorize it and we'll munch on that verse, what God says, his commitment to you, is he'll begin to drive that fear away from you. Just like he drove the fear away with the manna in the desert. This is what God does. In my life, when I was so concerned at the age of 18 about what am I going to do with my life? I took a year off after high school. I'm in Germany. Where am I going? You know what drove it all away? God's word drove it away as I just feasted on God's word. Now, one last thing. I'm going to wrap up the stuff that's at the end of your outline. Jesus Christ said in John 1.14. It's very interesting. It's very interesting the way he says this, everybody. Of all the things he could have described himself, he said, Jesus Christ came, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt amongst us. Okay, the word dwelt means to tabernacle. Isn't that interesting? He, said, I tab-, he didn't say, I templed amongst you. I tabernacled amongst you. The word, the tab- what is a tab? The tabernacle was the tent. It was like the little church tent. It was the tent that they set up, and they moved all the time in the desert when they worshiped God. We only have like two chapters in the Bible on the creation of the world. Creation of the world is a pretty big deal, right? We have like two chapters. We have 50 chapters on the tabernacle that's how important is god it was like god's it's like the jesus road show it's like the god road show moving all around the desert god is on the move remember that move he's moved he tabernacled among. there was very few things that were part of the tabernacle there was a courtyard had a couple things in it then there was this room the holy place and it had basically three things it had a light it had an altar of incense And then it had a table that had bread on it, 12 loaves of bread. Getting the connection? 12 loaves of bread. Jesus says, I tabernacle amongst you. 12 loaves of bread. Now, here you go. You know what we call the bread? What was called in Scripture? It was called the bread of his presence. The bread of his 
presence. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He's the word of God. And in the temple, it was called the bread of his presence, everybody. There is only one thing in the world, tangible, that I can put my hands on and say, here's God. I feel like I can touch God. When those priests went into that room and they had that bread, the bread of his presence, they could touch it, and then once a week they would eat it. God has given us one thing. One thing. It's not prayer. It's not praise. It's not going to church. Not many things. But there's one thing that we can touch that we say, I have God's presence and I can munch on it in my life. And it'll fill me. It'll fuel me. And it'll free me. Now, Jesus says one last thing. And I promise I'm going to end with this. Jesus Christ says in these verses here of John chapter 6, he says, nobody can want the word of God or even have a desire for spiritual things unless the Father draws you to himself. I believe he says that in John 6, 44. The Father has to draw you. What is he saying? He's saying this, ready? None of us are here this morning at church this morning because independently we just decided, you know what? I'm going to church today. I go to church all the time. It's a thing I do. Or you know what? I've never been to church in my life, but I want to check this Jesus thing out. And I made that decision on my own to go do that. And Jesus says, no, you're completely wrong. You're completely wrong. We don't make the decision on our own to check out Jesus or to pray or to read the word or to be spiritual. He says, none of that happens unless the Father draws you. You are here today because God is drawing you. You pray or you think about spiritual things because God is drawing you. You have a desire for spiritual things because God is drawing you. He's drawing you because God has a plan for your life. What does God want to do in your life? There's three reasons why God wants to draw you in your life. And here they are, the bottom of your outline. Because God loves you. God wants to have a special relationship with you. Second thing is because God believes in you. You know, it's really cool. When someone says they believe in you. Oh, when a woman looks at a man, when a woman looks at her husband and says, baby, I believe in you. Man, that husband, I don't care how he reacts inside. He's like, Woo! I feel fantastic. I should write a book on the things that women should say to men to inspire them. I have no idea what men can say to women, but I know exactly <laughs> what women can say. And when a woman looks at her husband and says, man, I, baby, I just want you. I believe in you. You're the man. He feels fantastic. When a man says to another man, like an issue at work or in sports or in life, hey, man, I believe in you. You can do this thing. It's inspiring. But when God looks at us and says, you know what? I'm drawing you because I believe in you. I believe in you. And we don't even believe in ourselves. And he says, I believe in you. Wow. That is awesome. Final thing is because God has a great plan for our life. Don't fight it. Don't fight the drawing power of God. Do not fight it. Move into that. Allow God to fight you. You might say this morning, I'm gonna say, you know what, John? I don't, I don't understand everything about Jesus. So I'm just not ready to like go with that drawing. I'm not ready to do with it. Do you understand everything about this bread? Some of you I've watched, you've already eaten this bread this morning. You don't know everything about this bread. You don't know who made this bread. You don't know anything about it, but boy, you ate it. Right? We, our world, you know, with Jesus Christ, it's like the only thing in this world that we say, you know what, I'm not going to move forward with this thing. I'm not going to accept the drawing power until I understand everything about it. It's about the only thing in life that we treat like that. 
right? There are people who want to be surgeons. They want to be insurgents. And they don't understand everything about being a surgeon their first day or their thousandth day. You have people who are like surgeons who say, you know what, my gosh, five years into it, I can't believe the things I did. I'm just glad I didn't get hit with malpractice, right? right? We don't understand everything, but that doesn't stop us. I don't know anything about being a preacher 15 years ago. I know very little about it today. But that didn't stop me. That didn't stop people from being teachers or preachers or lawyers or surgeons. We wouldn't have any lawyers if people said, I have to know everything from day one. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? You can still eat, though you don't understand everything. Stop fighting it. Every single time in the Gospel of John, when we fight the drawing power of God, that's when things get really silly and stupid. You look at all the interchanges that are like, that's just goofy in there. It's because people fought the drawing power of God. So here's the thing that you do. Today, it's John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Two weeks from now, it's John chapter 8. I'm the light of the world. You can start munching on John chapter 8 right now for the next two weeks. I am the light of the world. Three weeks from now, it's John chapter 10. There's two I am's in John chapter 10. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. You could munch away on that. You could join a community group. Bible study. Look, there's all kinds of community group Bible studies. Let me just tell you about what, what I found that works and what we end up doing in, in, in my group. And what, when I walk away, I feel filled up. We just read the Bible. We read a passage. We read the passage we're getting ready to study today. So what we did a couple weeks ago is we studied for today. And we meditated. We discussed it. And every time we started dying, just giving our own like opinions that are just kind of got off in a bunny trail, we brought it back to the Bible. Man, when I walk out of there after munching on the Bible, I feel alive. And we can do that. And we can memorize verses. We can memorize verses and allow the bread of life to fill our lives, to fuel our lives, right? And to free our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. Your word is powerful. And we know that the scripture is clear. There is an enemy of our souls that desires to keep us spiritually anemic. Just total lethargy in our spiritual person on the inside of us to keep us away from the power of your word. Help us, God, to recognize this scheme of the enemy all the stuff that distracts us in life and help us to feed and feast and munch on your powerful word, God, that is going to move us forward, that we might be spiritually alive, full, not dead. In Jesus' name, amen.